This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Film Spotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on Cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button. Lovesick Love is now available on demand the same day it hits theaters. And watch The English Teacher starring Julianne Moore, Greg Kinnear, and Nathan Lane. On demand before it hits theaters. The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on Cable. The art house is now in your house. This episode is also brought to you by Shutterstock.com. With over 700,000 high-quality video clips, Shutterstock helps you take your creative projects to the next level. For 30% off your new account, go to Shutterstock.com and use offer code FILM4. From New York City, this is Film Spotting Streaming Video Unit. I'm Matt Singer. And I'm Allison Wilmore. On this episode of SBU, Matt narrates our entire conversation in a voice that is equal parts absurdist comedy, bleakly realistic assessment of our mortality, and moving meditation on the magic of existence. As we review the animated movie, It's Such a Beautiful Day. Matt told the listeners that before that, they'd bring them cue shots. They'd look at some of the current offerings on various streaming and VOD sites, all centered around a common theme. Inspired by It's Such a Beautiful Day, Matt tells them that he and Allison had considered doing a podcast about the ephemeral and fleeting quality of memory. Then they forgot they ever had that idea. Instead, they decided to do a podcast on animation for grown-ups. Matt worried that so few listeners had watched It's Such a Beautiful Day that they wouldn't get the joke of his intro script. Then he decided he was too lazy to rewrite it or to make it more accessible, and added that first up on the show was Opening Break a segment they do in conjunction with their sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable, in which they spotlight one title that's new on VOD and give the listeners a rundown of some other notable titles new on demand on cable. Matt asked Allison to give the listeners this week's picks. You know, as uh, impressions go, that's a real deep cut for you to have in your repertoire. <laughs> I really, I appreciate it. Yeah, and I didn't have it until about, I would say, three and a half hours ago. So Yeah, and that's actually three and a half hours. We've just been sitting here while he's been trying it, and I've just been <laughs> waiting. So uh, I hope you all appreciated that. 
So as we're recording this, we're in the middle of the Tribeca Film Festival. Uh, and so for opening break this week, I thought I would pick out a few films that are playing the festival and are already available on demand. So you don't need to go outside ever again. Nice. Yes. Uh, first up is Greetings from Tim Buckley. And this is a film about the singer-songwriter Jeff Buckley, who is played in the film by Penn Badgley uh, of Gossip Girl. Who apparently, it's like a, it's a really good role for him, for someone that you'd kind of associate with, you know, these kind of teen dramas. But anyway, he's playing the late songwriter Jeff Buckley. Um, and it's at a moment where he's asked to play in a tribute concert for his father, Tim Buckley, who was also a musician and who also, like Jeff, died at a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's directed by Daniel Algrant, who uh, directed Naked in New York, if you remember that kind of 90s indie. And it also stars Imogen Poots, who is uh, one of those up-and-coming English actresses with a uh, kind of fabulous name, like Tuppence Middleton or Anna Popplewell. Wait, what was that other one? Tuppence Middleton. Who's that? I don't. That one I don't She's know. She's an up-and-coming English actress. They all have fantastic names. Say I don't that know. name again. Tuppence Middleton. One more time. Tuppence Middleton. One more time. I can't do it again. If you say it's one more time, much. if you say She'll one more time, here in the room. Here in the room. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, anyway, so like a list we should do someday. Just English Tuppence actresses, Middleton. With fabulous names. Uh, hi, I'm trying to reach Jeff Buckley. We're putting together a concert celebrating your father's music. This is Jeff. This is Tim's son. That is spooky. You look just like him. I didn't actually know Tim had a son. Neither did he. My wife. She hates my music. No. She just hates my music. Tim? Tim. Mary had the baby. You have a son, Tim. This is your schedule. And it's your podium. I think we could have a lot of fun with this money. Out of this town. How'd you get to be the slave here? I'm not the slave. I love working here. Like, these people are incredible. Also, I have a huge crush on your father. I have to get back. Oh, we have to go forth. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so also, that's available currently on demand. Okay. Also available on demand is What Richard Did, which is an Irish indie. It's directed by filmmaker Lenny Abrahamson. And it stars Jack Raynor, who's been getting a lot of attention for this role as the Richard of the title, who's kind of a, a golden boy, like an athlete, who's very popular. And he and his friends are kind of bumming around Dublin uh, in the summer before university starts. And then there's this kind of accident, like Richard... Uh, is part of this tragedy and it's kind of about how they all deal with it. So that's what Richard did. And the final one is Fresh Meat, which is a New Zealand horror comedy. It's about a dysfunctional gang of criminals who take this upper middle class Maori family hostage only to find out that the family has been harboring their own secret, which is that they eat other people. And so it becomes a kind of battle between criminals and cannibals. Kind of sounds a little bit like your next, actually, maybe a little more comedic version of that. Yeah. Some similarities in the plot descriptions there. Yeah, interesting. You could do a double feature. There's no cannibals in in your next, but the home invasion. There's a kind of a a versus versus element. Yeah. So all three of those films are currently available on demand and they're also currently playing at least while we're recording this at the Tribeca Film Festival all right well it was sort of an obvious topic I guess given the film but animation for grown-ups we sort of uh, toyed with exactly how to approach this and in what way we could you could maybe do indie animation which is a, it's a small it's growing it's, it's something growing. that you can do more but it's still in you know, animation so labor-intensive right that it is really difficult to do it 
in the confines of like an indie world. Though there are people like Nina Paley's Sita Sings the Blues, which I think I've spoken about a little bit before on an earlier podcast mm-hmm. that's uh, available on Hulu. Or Bill Plimpton, who's been a kind of stalwart of indie animation for a long time, has Idiots and Angels on Netflix. But it's it's still a pretty small world right. to indie animation. So we thought we would broaden a little bit. That would certainly wouldn't uh, exclude indie animation, but we would make it animation for grown-ups. We had thought we were going to call it adult animation. That sounded a little dirty. <laughs> and I think it probably still might get a little dirty anyway. But uh, animation for grown-ups at least has a, a less disturbing sexual connotation. Right. The, you you watched them that turned out to be dirtier too, than you planned. Too horrifying for me to finish. <laughs> and we'll get to that a little bit later. Yes, yeah. I actually did something I very rarely do. Part of it was motivated by time considerations, but nonetheless, I watched a movie, which we will talk about a little later, briefly, and turned it off after about 15 or so minutes, and I because I was a little too horrified by the sexuality in it. That's interesting. Yes. Um, and even, I'm a freak, yes. so it takes a lot to freak me out. It's got to be really dark. There's yeah. like sub-human centipede <laughs> yeah, like level exactly. stuff right there. Uh, the only other thing I wanted to mention before we get to the films is that, you know, going into this, I remember there... Even like a just, I feel like a decade ago, there was still a lot of conversation about animation having to kind of fight for a place, you know, kind of to be treated as at seriously. the table of respect. Yeah, and I don't know that that conversation is that necessary anymore, or at least like you know, I, I as much as animation is still treated as a kind of sub, you know, subgenre, uh, it seems a lot more mainstream, and we have a, like a lot more expectation that it can create serious matters right would you, you agree i don't i don't know do you think a mainstream audience thinks of animation as something that can be for grown-ups or do you think they assume that all animation is for children i think there I, is a segment of the population out there that probably does assume I that i wonder though because i you know we're in an era of like archer say you know this extremely mm-hmm. like a uh, grown-up raunchy uh, you know, uh, animated show mm-hmm. that's running on cable and is pretty acclaimed. We're uh, in the ages of Pixar, which those are children's movies, but they're also regularly treated very seriously true, by critics. True, you know, I don't think that it's complete, like no one notices the difference, mm-hmm. but I think that we're definitely, I think there's a shift that's happened. Yeah, you might be right. You might be right. To me, one of the things that I like about what we just said, though, is the fact that if there is that, maybe not stigma, but if there is that association, it potentially offers a chance for some subversion because then the animator can make something that looks in some ways like something that's for children and then can horrify, mortify, unsettle, (laughs) provoke, and perhaps inspire by creating something that actually plays with those ideas in a very clever way. So potentially that can can be a strength as well as a kind of a negative. That's a good point. Yeah. And it's actually, it plays a bit into my first pick, uh, which is Tatsumi. It's a 2011 film about a, a Japanese manga artist, but it's directed by a Singaporean filmmaker named Eric Koo, who also made a live-action film called My Magic. So this is a film about Yoshihiro Tatsumi, who is a manga artist who's still alive, actually. He's 77 years old. He does some of the voiceover for this uh, animated movie that's kind of done in his style of, of drawings. Um, he's credited with inventing a style call, uh, called Gekiga, 
which is kind of it's supposed to be to mainstream manga what like graphic novels are to comic books, right? They came up with this term because he was so frustrated with the, he was doing these very serious stories and they would get put on the shelf next right. to what we you were know. just what we were exactly, exactly just exactly, talking about. Exactly. So he kind of invented this term to try and make it distinguish this market, you know? Um, so it's about him. It's based on his own memoir called The Drifting Life about his growing up in kind of World War II, post-World War II era Japan. Uh, and the memoir aspects are okay. He has a very kind of troubled home life but you know it's still the story of someone who comes up learns to be like a very successful graphic novelist basically it's not really filled with wild uh swings of drama it's about someone working very hard what's really interesting about this movie is that folded into the story are five shorts of his like five of the that he wrote over the years and and they're all just dark like psychologically complicated and interesting and like a lot about what japan was like after the war as it was kind of recovering as the economy was recovering and they're great they're really great even as there's like this big gap between how the main story is and then each of these particularly the last one which is called goodbye and it's about a young woman who's making money off of having sex with american gi's and then her father just keeps coming around to like sponge money off of her in the name of like caring for her and wanting to check up, up on her. And it's really, it's really grim, but like really well done as well. For those alone, I would say this is worth checking out, but it's also, it's an interesting look at like a kind of shift in in manga and you know how they kind of had to make a fight to be taken seriously as well in the same mm -hmm. way that comic books and graphic novels did here so that's tatsumi it is streaming on netflix my first pick is uh what uh, what sort of was like the first movie that came to mind uh, almost like chronologically when you say like uh, uh animation for grown-ups and that's yellow submarine from 1968 directed by a gentleman i know nothing about named george dunning i'm not sure what else his his career involved, except I know he also worked on the Beatles animated cartoon series, which was a bit more traditional than uh, than than the film Yellow Submarine. Have you ever seen Yellow Submarine? I have not. Have you ever taken uh, psychedelic drugs, Allison? Uh, I'm not going to answer that on okay. the record. <laughs> okay. Well, if you have out there, if you have, then you've basically, I think, probably seen Yellow Submarine in your mind because it's basically just a very you know a 90 minute uh, trip through crazy psychedelic imagery i mean it's it, to me it's not a great movie per se because it's so unbelievably stupid <laughs> i mean it's like it's literally like the the beatles who are not played by the beatles their voices are provided by sound alikes who are some of them are better than others uh they're recruited to go save pepperland by uh i don't know who, who cares by somebody to from the blue meanies the evil blue meanies but basically like more than half of the movie is them traveling in this yellow submarine through who knows through other dimensions other times it's basically like just th they repeatedly get into these different obstacles they encounter these problems they fix them through singing a song and then carry on on their merry way without really any drama or tension and then repeat over and over again. But the imagery is really fantastic, even if you're not on some sort of mind-altering substance. I mean, it is a beautiful movie, and the music is fantastic. So it really is a, a spectacular, uh, you know, sort of like a visual wallpaper for the music. So if you're a Beatles fan, 
you know, it's great just to sit back and enjoy it. I mean, at times it is almost shockingly dumb and literal. It's like, well, the Beatles have a song called Nowhere Man. Let's just create a character called Nowhere Man who's a weird little brown and blue blob and talks funny, but we can have a, a Nowhere Man uh, uh, you know, song and they can all sing along. And- hey, lads, look at this. What do you think it is? Nothing. Yeah, it looks like nothing. It's a local inhabitant. He's probably one of the nothings. Well, at least that's something. I'm not sure my motor. Steady on. I mean, you don't want to be showing your motor to just anybody. Yeah, but this is a nobody. Basically, I think like the best parts actually don't even involve the Beatles in some ways because the you know the Beatles are just kind of wandering through it. Uh, these presences making occasional dopey jokes and then singing the songs like there's a uh, some sequences where they don't really factor in like this one to Lucy in the sky with diamonds which is absolutely beautiful and employs this much different animation style it's not quite psychedelic so that's yellow submarine and it is available right now on iTunes for rental all right my next pick is also one that i'd say is dumb but uh kind of a cultural <laughs> landmark of its time which is heavy metal the 1981 film uh cult favorite directed by Gerald Potterton and produced by Ivan Reitman and Leonard Mogul. It is available on Crackle. Uh, and this is, I think, one of the better known of it, you know, edgy grown-up animation uh, of its era, kind of before anime started making its way more into over to Western audiences. This is 1981. I do feel like calling it grown-up is being generous because like really the ideal audience for this movie in this pre-internet era is like the black t-shirt wearing sexually frustrated 14 year old boy like it's it's why are you looking at me when you're saying those words allison just looking across the room come on we're having a conversation oh man yeah um so this is it's an anthology of stories either taken from or in the style of heavy metal magazine i know we all subscribe um (laughs) And it, uh, they're all kind of related to this glowing green sentient orb of evil called the Lochnar. Um, <laughs> yes, which like it kind of there's this framing story, and then the Lochnar explains how he's like created all these evil things. I just, I'm right now thinking of eight different ways to make you say the word Lochnar. I'll or... keep, I keep going. What do you want of me? I want you to steal the sacred Lochnar. What is this Lochnar? The Queen's glowing sphere, you fool. The sacrifice to Ulatek can only be performed by the possessor of the sacred Lochnar. Norl! This is Norl, my bravest warrior. You will go with him to the Queen's castle and steal the Lochnar. Then I will give you the girl. And if I refuse? If you refuse, you die. She dies. Everybody dies. Sounded reasonable to me. Everyone kind of what like wants to have the lock like get the Lochnar, right? right? Especially in the beginning few stories, everyone fights over it. Yeah. Even though when you pick it up The it, Lochnar. It, yes, it usually makes you disintegrate. So not really sure why, you why want it's that. so coveted. Yeah. Yes. But there's a lot of fighting over the Lochnar. Um the stories range from it's like sci-fi noir. The first one is this kind of sci-fi noir that I like. A l- I actually liked a lot. Okay. To this just shameless, flat-out wish fulfillment fantasy in which this like eighteen-year-old kind of nerdy guy is transformed into this muscly hero in this world where there's a certain part where the queen he's like trying to get something from the queen and she's like, "I'll kill you." 
well, unless you satisfy me. (laughs) Stop looking at me when you talk about these things. So, um, and, you know, there's, of course, and, you know, this is, it's heavy metal, the movie. There's a lot of music from Black Sabbath, from Sammy Hagar, from Nazareth, from uh, Cheap Trick. Uh, And, you know, I, I think, like... This is all over the place. Like the even like the themes of the stories are all over the place. One of them will be like horror. One of them will be sci-fi. Uh, it's sometimes they're really deliberately funny, and sometimes they're accidentally funny. Mm-hmm. But and there's a lot of just gratuitous nudity. There's a reason that when South Park did a heavy metal themed episode, it was called Major Boobage. Right? <laughs> it's just like so much nudity, and these women who are like they look like you know. Uh, a heavy metal poster that yeah right um, come to life exactly but uh you can also see like it so hits this niche i feel like there's like a there are a few guys who would like perfectly fit the scene and like anyone's high school anywhere you know in northern america uh in north america but uh i, I just I, you can understand absolutely watching it like why it became a kind of cult object cuz like there are definitely i i would imagine like uh audiences for whom this was like the most this must have been so exciting you know to see all Stop of this imagery looking at me when you say these things i never thought you were heavy metal matt <laughs> i've actually never seen heavy metal yeah. I've, I've, I've... i hadn't either this was the first time i was very curious to yeah. see it and overall i mean it's it's definitely more it's a cultural item i would say more than like a successful film in okay. its own right? All right but it is i mean it's also it's pretty funny like the just the uh, that it manages to tie all these things together including like the intro scene before the movie starts really it's a spaceship coming in and then it releases the lochnar no oh. like a car like a ca- it's like an astronaut oh, and the lock like, car cadillac and he's like kind of landing the he, like flies the cadillac down and lands it and you know you're like there you go all it's right. a cadillac in space that's uh, it sums it up right there. Um, but so that is heavy metal. It is currently streaming on Crackle. All right, I'll have to actually have to. So Crackle, when a movie has nudity and all that sort of thing, it's still it's it's it all in there on Crackle. It makes you put in your birth date. But oh. yeah, then it, you can go ahead and see all of the animated boobage you want. I can. <laughs> I won't do that though because I'm a grown up now <laughs> who doesn't watch those things. Anyway, uh, my next movie, significantly less boobage in this one, although there is uh, some overt sexuality nonetheless, it is from 1988, and it is entitled Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and is directed by Robert Zemeckis, and I suppose some may say it's not quite an animated movie since it's a live-action movie with animated portions or animated characters involved in the action, Uh, but it, it certainly is not a movie for children, and it does involve animated cartoons. And I hadn't seen this movie in a long time. I'm not sure, actually, when the last time I had watched this movie. Obviously, I saw it as a child-ish. So it came out in in 88, which means I would have been seven or perhaps eight when I saw it for the first time. Maybe nine. And this movie, I have to say, surprised me in how adult it actually is. Not just in the... Well, there's in a, in a bunch of different ways. In the sexuality, in terms of there are some very adult jokes. You know, there's not a lot of language but there's a uh, an erection joke and then you have jessica rabbit of course who is this incredibly sexualized caricature uh no nudity per se but it's hard not to think of her as a uh a lust object whatever you want to say she would fit in in heavy metal she needed a oh, different yeah. costume definitely she needed yeah she needs to wear some kind of weird metal leather, bikini yeah or like leather bustier yeah a warrior leather bustier but she's not that far off from a heavy metal no absolutely not you know sex object or something like that yeah Plenty money, nineteen twenty-two. 
I sort of did not recognize, certainly when I was eight years old, were how many references to movies are in this film. I mean, I'm watching it uh, this week, and the first thing I, I notice when our hero, Eddie Valiant, played by Bob Hoskins in a fantastic performance, he's a private eye, he's hired by this a Hollywood mogul who runs the cartoon studio, Maroon Toon Studio, to investigate this case for him. He walks into his office, and I go, that's the office from Sullivan's Travels, from the Preston Surges <laughs> movie. Like, almost exactly. I didn't even have to look it up. I, like, I could just recognize it, right? I was like, oh, my God. It's the, it's the movie studio office from Sullivan's Travels. And then it's very clearly – you know, it's funny because the movie came out in 1988, and it reminded me immediately this time of Chinatown. And what's interesting is – there was a, there's a, a second Chinatown movie, the same character, called The Two Jakes, which is actually an underrated movie. And Robert Town always wanted to make a third film, Allison, and the title of the third film was going to be called Cloverleaf. And in this film, the villains, and I don't want to say too much about it, the name of the villains' uh, business is Cloverleaf Industries. And so I have no idea if the, like, the plans for uh, Town's third film were out there at the time, but this almost feels like the cartoony third chinatown movie that was never made well there is like the whole conspiracy that's uncovered eventually it's very chinatown it's very chinatown and yeah. one that i remember when i like went way way over my head like when i was young and watched this but it, yeah it's absolutely would fit in absolutely and it, it, it and it's a it's a pretty intense and dense mystery actually they kind of lay out some of the clues very obviously once you know the story and the first couple of scenes but the plot is really complicated. I mean, this is – I mean, as a child, I don't know how I followed it, actually. I did not And I probably <laughs> did. And I probably just enjoyed the fact that Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny were on the same screen at the same time, which was a big deal when it was made. So, I mean, I haven't talked a lot about the film itself. I've been sort of just talking about random minutia. But it, the last thing I'll say is that it holds up actually technically very well. The blending of live action and animated characters is really incredible, actually. The way that Bob Hoskins and this animated Roger Rabbit – interact and the way they both interact with things on the set is kind of amazing actually i was kind of marveling about the fact that this movie is over 20 years old now and it looks fantastic actually so if you haven't seen it uh, or haven't seen it in a long time might be worth a revisit it's who framed roger rabbit it's available also for uh, rental on itunes and you know uh richard williams was the animation director for that and he's kind of like a He's got like a huge cult following. It was like a really influential is he's still alive is a very like influential, especially in the pre computer era of animation. Mm -hmm. And it's really interesting. If you have ever a chance to look up, he had this like passion project that called the thief and the cobbler that he worked on that kind of got taken from him because he couldn't finish it in huh. time. And it's uh, really interesting to look up. Uh, and I think someone is making a documentary about him. So uh, if you have any interest in that, it, it's, Definitely worth a look. So my last pick, after having uh, having talked about Major Boobage, South Park, uh, I was like, why don't I take another look at South Park, Bigger, Longer, and Uncut? Why which not? Which is made in 1999, so a while ago now. Um, it's currently yeah, streaming on Netflix. I know. Um, and I was curious to see, like, at this point, how it would hold up, because it was made in, like, the relatively early days of South Park, yeah. you know? Uh, and now South Park has been going for, like, it's certainly not in its prime anymore, but, mm -hmm. you know, it's still going. Mm -hmm. um, so directed by Trey Parker, this was like the first big screen venture. Uh, and you'll remember it got a uh, an Oscar nomination for uh, Blame Canada. Nice, nice. Um, and, you know, I, I think it 
this it does hold up really well despite you know prominent Saddam Hussein presence and certain things that are like a little dated the the fact that the animation style is so incredibly simple means that it will never really look old because it was always you know it was always deliberately look, made to look this crude mm-hmm. and i think it also it also makes the kind of more elaborate like choreography or the more elaborate movements that are in the film, like uh, the USO show uh, where Big Gal sings "I'm Super," is like pretty funny given also just how it's animated. Or Cartman's Matrix moment towards the end of the movie, uh, just given that he is just this blob, <laughs> it's like really funny to do like the kind of three sixty, the free three sixty spin around him. Mm-hmm. Um, so and you know, I, I but I, I think like what makes it hold up still is uh, you know are the songs and it's no surprise that trey parker and matt stone uh, are obsessed with musicals i mean they have like they are responsible for the current hottest ticket on broadway still the book of mormon um and just like the nerdiness with which they both like parody well-known musicals like musical moments but also make a very catchy song, still impressive. Yeah. You know, like Satan sings um, "Up There," which up is there. Like, yeah, a part so much room. Exactly. It's like a part of your world kind of. Yeah, it's riff like a Little Mermaid. Yeah, exactly, it's and it's really funny. Up there, there's so much room where babies burp and flowers bloom. Everyone dreams I can dream too. Up there, up where the skies are ocean blue. I could be safe and live without a care up there. They say I don't belong. I must stay below alone. Because of my beliefs, I'm supposed to stay where evil is sown. But what is evil anyway? Is there reason to the rhyme? Without evil, there can be no good, so I must be good to be. The mole has a, he gets to sing some Les Mis style songs. Oh, you uh, must have loved that. I did love that. He got a good death song <laughs> moment. Uh, it was great. Um, and you, you like, and Blame Canada is, is a really funny song. Mm-hmm. You know, I, it's, it is as much as like, I, I think the shock value that you initially associated with the show in those early days and then with the movie as well, it's just like filled with profanity, you know, is a little, it, it's lost the kind of sting that came with that. The glee that the movie has in like the glee that it takes in all of that is still, is still really enjoyable, you know, like it's not, it's not just prodding at people to be like, you know, look at what we can do. There takes total enjoyment in the profanity that they use and in the, you know, every kind of, juvenile raunchy dirty joke uh i i think that there's something about both the kind of joy to that and the intelligence underneath you know it does a pretty good job of skewering like people who want to like pin problems on like something you know very specific blame canada nobody thinks of uh, pinning the blame on us mm-hmm. uh I, I think it, it does that very well and also you know you've got you do have saddam hussein in really the role of a lifetime <laughs> It's uh, just like a, his uh, like his photo, like with the you know cut in half, so he yes. could talk, uh, and just the fact that that 
goes on for as long as it does is is pretty entertaining. So I, I think it's it's still it was one I really enjoyed in 1999, and it's one I still really enjoyed looking at it now. South Park, bigger, longer, and uncut. It's streaming on Netflix. Okay, well we've got uh, for, uh, now for my last pick. This was my plan. Allison was yes. you know as we're going animation for grownups. You know they're, they're, we've talked about I think some of the big movies, some of the big names in this world. Uh, but there's one guy who I think is very well known for this is like his thing, and really we we would we couldn't really do this podcast without at least discussing him, and that's a gentleman by the name of Ralph Bakshi, who's not someone I'm very well versed in his work, but is a very famous you know independent and also like adult animator. He makes animated movies for adults, not for children, and he's been doing it for decades. So I figured, well, let's see what's available and let's go check it out. So basically, I'm just gonna I, I tried to watch several of his movies now. I'm sure that we're going to have uh, Ralph Bakshi fans out there listening. He's got a lot of fans. He's been, like I said, he's been very influential, very popular for a long time. So probably we'll have some people uh, who can maybe speak to what the good Ralph Bakshi movies are. I will say, though, having tried to watch several of his movies on Netflix Instant, the ones that were available, I gave them all a go. Uh, none of them quite worked out for me, but I want to at least we want to at least give him some credit, give him some attention, and 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 put out there that you can watch three different of his movies are available on uh, Netflix right now. Uh, so let's start with the first movie, Fritz the Cat. This is from 1972. It's the famous adaptation of the Robert Crumb cartoon or comic book, Fritz the Cat. This one I got about – this was the one we were referring to earlier. I watched about 15 minutes of this movie, and I was actually really into the animation style and also the unusual way that uh, Bakshi did the voices, which is very loose and kind of improvisational. And he, he clearly like went out on the streets and interviewed real hippies and weirdos on the streets of New York or construction workers, just recorded them talking naturally and then animated the voices to match to match those voices. But uh, within the first 15 minutes, there's like a, a – I guess Fritz is a cat, and then I don't know what he's talking to, bunny rabbits or some other animals, <laughs> and there's an orgy in a bathtub. And I frankly found it a little disturbing, Allison, and it just didn't seem like something I wanted to watch much more of. So I decided to turn it off and try a different Ralph Bakshi movie. Okay. And what I watched next was Cool World. This is sort of a, a – a, Almost like a, a an attempt to recreate the rabid success of Who Framed Roger Rabbit. It's a hybrid animated live action movie with a very young Brad Pitt in the one of the lead roles. Kim Basinger does the voice of one of the characters as well. And here's the plot description from Netflix. In an effort to keep the cartoon world and real world apart, a Vegas cop works to ensure that humans and animated characters don't bed one another. But when a comic book artist is seduced by his own creation, mayhem descends on the city. I didn't get too far in this one either, Allison. It doesn't have a great reputation. No, it does not. And I would say I can understand why. And then last, this one I feel like people might get into. For me, well, it's a little too cheesecakey for me, but it's uh, called Fire and Ice. This one was by Bakshi and the very famous fantasy artist Frank Frazetta. They co-wrote the script and the screenplay and created the characters. And then Bakshi animated it using a rotoscope where you basically, um, you know, you film live action people and then you paint over the images. And the images are really cool and it has this really great, you know, nonsense fantasy, you know, the fire kingdom and the ice kingdom and they're at battle and there's a war and all that stuff. In an age of myth and legend, the world trembles before the power of Necron. Master of evil, ruler of ice. Against him stand Tigra, 
princess of Firekeep and captive of the ice demons, Larn. The last of a mighty warrior tribe. And her only hope of escape. And Dark Wolf, mysterious Avenger and sworn enemy of the Ice Tyrant. But I don't know, the, the, the main female heroine in this movie is walking around in it. In, what could, in a heavy metal style outfit. There's no metal, it's just like, <laughs> it's like strings and tissue paper, you know? It's just like, her, her uh, bottoms are so flimsy. It's like every scene is like, every time she's shot from behind, it's like looking at, it's like plumber, a plumber <laughs> shot every single time. And it's just like, I don't know. Maybe I'm too old to enjoy that at this point, despite my uh, past as a... What, how did you describe us? A black t-shirt wearing... Uh, sexually frustrated 14-year-old right, boy. That. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I guess I'm, I'm, that part of me has died inside because I, at a certain point I was just like, this is like, I can't even focus <laughs> on what's going on because it's so absurdly, overly, sillyly sexualized. But if perhaps you're a little closer to that age, if you still got the... If, if the black t-shirted 14-year-old within you is still alive and well, hey, maybe check it out. Ralph Bakshi has some other movies that are a little more uh, famous and more respected, including American Pop and Wizards and his version of Lord of the Rings, which is well-loved by many and people. And Nightmarish, yeah. And Nightmarish. All of those are not available on Netflix, at least. So, I, I mean, I tried to see what was available on Netflix it didn't work out all that well for me, but I could see an audience for certainly for Fritz the Cat. I love the animation style of that, and I love the approach to the audio. It just it was just not as my grandmother would have said. This is this is not for me. <laughs> so that didn't work for me. But that Fire and Ice and Cool World, if you're feeling really brave, they're all available on Netflix. <laughs> This episode of Film Spotting SVU is brought to you by Shutterstock.com. At Shutterstock.com, you can find the perfect video for your next creative project, whether that's a website, an ad, multimedia presentation. Uh, you can choose from over 700,000 video clips, 2D animations, 3D motion graphics. Uh, many of the contributors to Shutterstock are professional filmmakers, and they add 10,000 video clips each week. So you can find something new every time you visit. Yeah, Shutterstock gives you the assets you need to bring your creative projects to the next level, and they make it easy. They've got sophisticated tools so you can search and drill down by category, clip resolution, contributor, and more. It's a complete offering, and they have excellent customer service with dedicated reps and 24-hour support throughout the week. You've also got flexible pricing, so you can choose between individual clips or packs of uh, videos. And you can download the clips in HD, or you can save them with standard definition or web formats. They've got a huge image library of photos, vectors, icons, and infographic templates. You can try Shutterstock today by signing up for a free account. You don't need to enter your credit card. You just start an account, uh, begin using Shutterstock to help imagine you know, what your project will be like. You can save video selections into your clip box. And then once you decide to purchase, you can use the offer code FILM4 and new accounts will receive 30% off any package. So that is Shutterstock.com. And for 30% off new accounts, use the offer code FILM4. We thank Shutterstock for their support. 
On the way to the bus stop, Bill saw somebody he recognized walking towards him, but he couldn't remember his name. He began to think of things to say when they'd be close enough to acknowledge each other. As they drew nearer, their eyes locked, uncertain if the other was going to stop to talk. The person greeted Bill, as Bill mixed up the phrases, What's up? with, How's it going? Confused, the person blurted out, Thanks, before he knew what he was saying. Words caught in Bill's throat, and he replied, Way. They did a sort of awkward half-turn, and then continued on, now confident that the other was not going to stop to talk. They never saw each other again, and a day later had each forgotten the whole thing. This week's Listener's Choice Review is It's Such a Beautiful Day from director Don Hertzfeld. It's a 62-minute feature that began its life as a series of shorts entitled Everything Will Be Okay, I Am So Proud of You, and It's Such a Beautiful Day. And then Hertzfeld, who is an acclaimed independent animator, combined them all into a single film. It follows the comical and tragic life of a stick figure named Bill, whose life is boring, hilarious, and incredibly sad. He has a very strange family tree in which many of his ancestors were killed by trains, <laughs> and he might be suffering from a fatal mental illness that is slowly destroying his memories and his ability to function. As the plot description suggests, Allison, cutesy animated stick figures aside, It's Such a Beautiful Day is not a movie for children or even a movie for adults who aren't prepared for a cinematic gut punch. My question to you is how long did it take you to recover from the roller coaster of emotions that this movie sent you on? Yeah, it definitely it leaves you trampled. And you know, I had watched this is the first time I had watched the full feature combined feature version, mm -hmm. but I had seen each of the parts of this as they were rolled out over the years. And it took years. I mean, Don Hertzfeld does hand animation. He's is you know, this crazy, obsessive, old school way of making uh, of making animation. So it takes a long time. Um, but combined, I think they work so well, like it works very well as a feature and just is devastating. And it is, I, I think, you know, the main character being a stick figure does not change the fact that this is almost like tree of lifey in its scale, you know, like it's got this like crazy, like giant scope and it kind of reaches out to be like about like certain mom moments of existence and mm -hmm. memory, but it's also told with stick figures. What did you think of that combo? You had not seen any of his work before. Nothing. No. So what did you think of this? Um, it, it grew on me as it went along. I think the middle short or the middle section now is the weakest i would agree i think the first one is good the second one is so so and i thought the third one was was incredible and the way that it all kind of ties up and and takes you to this higher plane of uh like a spiritual commentary i thought was really really amazing and there was one sequence in particular the one that suggests the title of the film that in like it, that, those like three minutes i guess you have to kind of see everything to really get the full impact of what's going on in that sequence but that that was the part that was really like the punch in the gut to me where I was just like, oh, my oh, man, like how brilliant that little sequence is at conveying everything that the movie is about, about our lives and about memory and about existence. And, and yeah, you're right. There is a, an element of the of the Terrence Malick's kind of spiritual, the maxi and the minimal right in the, the entirety of existence in this one little in this case, uh, one particular guy, not a family, but. Uh, I can see that in there. I, 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 some people are really enraptured by by his work and by this film in particular. I didn't think it was, on the whole, like the the greatest animated film I have ever seen or anything like that. And like I said, I thought the middle section wasn't as good as the first and the third sections. But the I mean, it is really really worth seeing. And the third part in particular, 
it really kind of it blew me away. And in terms of the stick figures, it's very effective. And in the third part, when there's there's a moment where it sort of like flexes between animation and live action, and it starts to suggest sort of um, you know the whole film is about perception and about how we see the world and and how our brains perhaps. Uh, when they're not working properly, can affect the way we see the world. And I did think that that the stick figures kind of was a comment on the way that the character perhaps is is uh, messed up in the head and and is having trouble distinguishing between people and things and ideas. And it speaks to his warped worldview. And then in terms of the way that he uses multiple parts of the frame to uh, suggest multiple things at once and to show interior headspace which is very confused I, I thought all that was really really brilliant and clever yeah uh, i mean like you know the stick figures is something that that's been consistent in his career since the beginning he's kind of like the maestro of stick figures <laughs> like absurdism but uh i i the progression in terms of using the real footage and using the different like the different kind of windows has is something that has been more recent and even like in the trilogy you can see it goes from like a pretty uh, like a much more restrained visual effect in the beginning, mm-hmm. like with some kind of frames of real world, like to him being kind of there in the real world mm-hmm. by the end uh, in a way that's really, I thought was like really beautiful. Um, I did an interview with him back in 2008 um, where right when I am so proud of you came out and I want, I asked him if he thought they were going to get shown together. Like he imagined this becoming like he was working on a trilogy. Would it be? And he said, not really. I'm not sure if I even rewatched. Okay. Once the whole time I was working on proud, <laughs> which I guess is kind of strange. They share a lot of common threads, but I've been approaching each of the chapters as their own standalone movies. I think they've got to be strong enough to sink or swim independent of each other. And I don't want you to have to have seen part one to understand part two or three. Um, he's saying I wasn't, he wasn't sure how well the two would complement each other. He said, okay is a pretty exhausting movie to watch and proud is even more so. There's so much going on. Each of them stuffed with ideas. Um, having them come out in episodes, I think, is a little easier dosage for an audience to take. I'm afraid if someone eventually watches all three of them back to back, they might crawl under a sofa and weep. Yeah, I could, I could I see that. Is absolutely fair. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. think it's interesting though that he w- hadn't rewatched the first movie when making the second. I don't know how much he rewatched the third. The third one, uh, I mean, does seem much more deliberately designed to connect and sum up and and be a finale. The second one doesn't feel, and maybe that's why it, it's not as effective. It doesn't feel like it's really building on the first one as much as it is sort yeah. of using that same character in the same style to just kind of muse on the same ideas in the same way. And right. I think that that's maybe why it doesn't it doesn't work as well. And and I was wondering it as I because I watched the whole thing and it's only sixty two minutes when it's all together. So I rewatched some of it as soon as it was over because it did kind of have a big uh, effect on me. And I. I would say uh, that it does feel, especially in the beginning, like he doesn't fully know where he's going. It doesn't seem like there's a a plan. And that's not necessarily to its huge discredit, but I mean – it does, uh, to some degree, feel like a bunch of shorts. You know, the first film, then the second film, and then the third film does tie it up a little bit. But to some degree, it does also feel like he's just making this really brilliant kind of – thrown out fly by the seat of the pants thing which then he later decided to try to turn into something bigger i don't yeah. know if you agree I, I think you know like i i really liked the first short when it came out but it's like it's got a very it's got a much more kind of darkly comic feel to it you know like the yeah. first short is about someone who i think like the whole joke of like his his uncle being there for him thinking he's gonna die 
and then having had to take a lot of time off of work and then eventually they like they're like you're not gonna die Start and like they're leaves. kind of like they're like a little mad at him almost you know they're like yeah and i think that that's it's like a very dark joke but there's something kind of great about it but that joke is so different from the kind of like just giant like burst of emotion at the end you know it's almost the opposite of that feeling right um and i think that that juxtaposition you know like and it, with the second one i think i liked it more in the context after the third came out because it kind of suggests that some of that mythology of his family is just a product of his his own mental disorder you know that like that su- that he had created these memories like it flashes onto some of them when it says the doctor says you might have created you know some of these so i thought that made more sense than being like you've had this crazy absurdist nightmarish family history that's all true but right. I, I did think I, in the second one second part which i would agree is the weakest the parts with his mom are really heartbreaking you know just the very idea of where the title comes from for the second one mm-hmm. is just so sad like it's devastating um so i you know i i think it's a pretty amazing achievement given like given how it was made and i do like i, I like the sense of humor in it like right. the opening sequence the it's what, hilarious. Where they're walking, yeah. Just they have, the two of them bumping into on yes. each other's feet. It, I mean, he has an incredible, unique, but very funny, very relatable, sort of absurdist sense of humor. And, and, and the little observations, the almost Seinfeldian observations that are sort of sprinkled throughout these huger kind of brain-melting epiphanies, I think is really great the way he kind of blends the two together. And yeah, some of them are just so pointed and so on the nose, like the thing about fruit in the supermarket you know not wanting to take the ones in the front because they're at crotch level for other people and who knows what they're rubbing up against that fruit i don't know if i've had the crotch level part of it but i'm like obsessive about in the supermarket like don't take the ones in the front they touch people touch those get the ones in the back so it's like he's combining these very strange and surely things that no one else in the world has ever thought with these very universal ideas and i i thought the way he blended them together is really great i mean it's funny. I just got back from uh, Ebertfest, and I was on this panel, which was about a, a million different things. But one of the things that came up was from people in the audience was like, well, is it a good thing that it's, people are more able now to make their own movies, that the, the tools of filmmaking are more readily available to anyone out there? Anyone can become a filmmaker. Anyone out there can put their work out there, and, and, and then people can find it. And some people were like, well, yeah, so many people don't deserve to make a movie and the, the stuff they make is really bad and they don't – you know. and that there's, a, there's an element of truth to that, no question. But I really wonder – and this is despite the fact that he doesn't make digital films using modern techniques. Most of the time he's – and this is you know, hand-drawn and he's using old cameras and things like that. But I have a hard time imagining Don Hertzfeld would be – even where he is – you know, 20, 30 years ago, you know, like his work would have been much harder to find. And here, this is the first time I think we've done a movie that's available on Vimeo. And here's a case where you can stream it on the website for $2 or what I did, which is you can buy the movie forever for $6. So now I have a copy of it for six bucks. I can watch forever. And it's like, you know, it's it's just like an MP4. You could transfer it wherever you want, watch it wherever you want. And that's exciting to me, the fact that this guy is able to make what he wants completely independently. He does everything himself, including the voice, mm-hmm. which is so good. Yeah. I was kind of teasingly imitating it earlier, but it's so good and so perfect for the animation. And I actually assumed, 
not knowing anything about him, that he got like a voice actor to do it because it is so perfect. But it's him. I mean, it blows me away that this guy can do all of this himself, do almost everything on his own and distribute it on his own. And, and, and to me, the fact that I can, you know, now watch this forever on my iPad, on my phone, on wherever I want to watch it, on my computer, my whatever, I think is really exciting. And I think speaks to sort of, uh, the, the the good sides of this world where anyone can make a movie. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that he has been one of those people who, he, I mean, like, he's only a few years older than we are. Like, he's been doing this, like, since he's he was uh, in college, I think. Uh, why you got to make me feel I know, like I'm wasting I, I'm my life? I'm feeling like I'm wasting my life, too. Let's, let's start learning to hand draw animation and spend years and years just doing that painstaking work. All right. Um, you know, he is one of those people who has brought his stuff around. Like, he'll tour with movies. Mm-hmm. He he was part of the Spike and Mike Animation Festival, which yeah. is where I first saw Rejected, which is – I highly recommend it. It's a short film he made. It got nominated against all odds for an Oscar. And if you watch it, it seems like the most unlikely – it's fantastic, but it's the most unlikely uh, Oscar pick ever. But, you know, the, he really has always done this – what's becoming a model for – indie film now you know which is that you make an event of it and that you are part of the show right um he has done for years and i think that it is true that like there is something very exciting to be like someone can make this work that is completely independent of like outside forces and actually make it i'm sure not an easy living but like make it a living mm-hmm. you know there's something that is really inspiring about that yeah and one of the things we talked about earlier in the show is this idea of like you know the subversiveness of animation and i feel like this really gets at it you know that it's another thing that's so great about the 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 stick figures because you know they seem so simplistic and it seems so cartoonish and slight and and it opens with such you know slight jokes that you think, oh, this is really funny and cute, and it's it's almost you know like those moments in the beginning too. I was thinking it's almost like a greeting card come to life, you know, like some kind of snarky, poorly drawn but like deliberately kind of lo-fi greeting card thing. And then you know that's where the gut punch part comes in because you're really not expecting it to get as dark and as serious and as smart and as well, and powerful. He also, he he becomes like Bill seems so fully realized by the end. You yeah, know? like he does not seem like as much as there's an everyman quality to the idea of it, like the stick figure itself, right? It's just dots, like right. a few dots and lines. He is this complete person by yeah. the end. And, and you know, I mean, this might be my ignorance in, a, in multiple ways, but, you know, like not knowing Don Hertzfeld and not being an expert on indie animation, animation for grownups, there's not a lot of animation that I've seen that feels this personal. Obviously, Don Hertzfeld is not dying of a mental disorder, but there are parts of this that feel... Like they're, you know, they're autobiographical, that they're someone's life put on this on paper and then animated and then brought to life that I don't feel even in some of the great movies we've talked about on this show. Like you don't see a ton of personal stuff out there. It's fantasy. It's all these different genres, but not always, you know, speaking from the heart. And that's what this movie does so well. Yeah. Well, I I think that if you hadn't had the... Well, I think that if you haven't had a chance to check it out, I really, really strongly recommend it. And it's $2 to rent. $2. And $6 to own, which it's, is a great deal. Yeah. Some of the best non-essential $2 or perhaps $6 you could spend. Absolutely. Definitely yeah. recommend it. So that's It's Such a Beautiful Day. It is available on Vimeo.
Just a reminder that MoviePass is a sponsor of Film Spotting SVU. We're really happy to have them. It's a subscription service where you pay a monthly fee and you can see a movie per day at many theaters. You can check out moviepass.com slash filmspotting for more info and use the offer code filmspotting to get $10 off the first month of your subscription. And that brings us to Behind the Eight Ball. This is the part of the podcast in which we give you a rapid-fire countdown of three picks that are new to streaming, two that are expiring soon, and one pick chosen blindly by number from our Netflix queue. Matt, you're up first. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's begin. All right. Three new films. Okay. First up, Allison. Through the years on this podcast, on various websites, and just around my neighborhood when I feel like putting on a tinfoil hat and wandering the streets and raving, I think I've made it pretty clear that I enjoy the work of one Jason Statham. I continue to argue he is perhaps the most consistently entertaining movie actor working in Hollywood today. Just every single movie, you know what you're going to get, and he delivers. And one of his better recent efforts is now available on Netflix. It's called Safe. Statham plays a man named Luke Wright, a former cop turned former cage fighter, because <laughs> that is what happens in the real world, Allison, turned current hobo. So that's, again, cop. <laughs> cage fighter hobo who unwittingly becomes the protector of a brilliant little girl who holds in her photographic memory a very important code wanted by various mobs and also some corrupt cops will he keep her safe allison absolutely spoiler alert yes he will that is safe (laughs) it is available on netflix uh next up you can already watch david lynch's first feature eraserhead on hulu plus now you can also watch several of his short films they just added a bunch of david lynch shorts to hulu plus And I've actually never seen any of these, so I'm looking forward to watching them. They include Six Men Getting Sick, which Lynch made all the way back in 1966. That's unbelievable. At the Pennsylvania Academy of Fine Arts and the animated The Alphabet. If you go to Hulu.com slash movie slash Criterion and go down to the recently added section, you'll see them all there. There's quite a few of them. And then finally, this isn't new to Netflix, but I, I saw it at Ebert Fest, which I mentioned. And I was telling you about it, Allison, before. This movie just blew me away. So I really want to recommend people check it out on Hulu+. Plus. It's called The Ballad of Narayama. Uh, it's a 1958 film directed by Kasuke Kinoshita. It's a Japanese film about this village that holds this ancient and cruel tradition that all the members of this community, they have to willingly go to die on top of this mountain when they hit the age of 70. It's like Logan's Run if Logan's Run was like this kabuki-inflected historical drama shot entirely on sound stages with these very elaborate painted backdrops and sets it's very artificial very theatrical but it is so beautiful the colors the 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 production design the performances the ending of this movie oh man it is stunning it is beautiful it is it is another gut punch it is a cinema a lot of gut punches if you want to be punched in the gut in the most intense but beautiful way i really really recommend this film one of the best films i've seen in a long time the ballad of narayama available on hulu plus Okay, two expiring films. Okay, first up is uh, a movie expiring from Netflix on May 1st. It is called J.D.'s Revenge, an unusual horror and black exploitation hybrid starring Glenn Turman as this sweet-tempered law student who finds himself haunted by the ghost of a criminal after he participates in a hypnotist's nightclub act. I hate it when that happens. This is a ghost story where it's more almost like a the ghost is like an idea more than the ghost. It's like... 
the ghost may be a ghost, or maybe it's just this guy's dark side that he's repressed for a really long time, and it's finally coming to the surface, which is a really interesting idea, I think. Uh, the movie, the ending isn't fantastic, but I think this is a very, very cool, very smart, unusual black exploitation movie. This could have been a good one for the Film Spotting Original Recipe Black Exploitation Marathon, but they did not include it. But you can watch it on Netflix until May 1st. Also expiring on May 1st from Netflix is the Cuckoo for Cocoa Bananas low-budget post-apocalyptic fantasy film entitled She, starring Sandal Bergman, best known as the Valkyrie love interest in Conan the Barbarian, in which she must battle, and I'm quoting from Wikipedia here, Allison, which, as we know, is never inaccurate. She must battle a tutu-wearing giant, a psychic communist, a toga-wearing werewolf, and mutants bandaged like Egyptian mummies. Allison, one drunken night with... Many, many deep regrets. I watched this movie with a couple of friends, and I have to tell you, it is like nothing I had ever seen. It is so strange. It is almost as weird as it is cheap. And let me tell you, brother, it is cheap <laughs> and weird. It is it is it's so bizarre. I think it could become a midnight movie classic if anyone ever watched it, which no one ever has, which no one ever will after it expires on Netflix on May 1st. Check it out. She... And one from your queue. You gave me number 59, which this week is The Terror from 1963. A Roger Corman horror movie starring Boris Karloff and a very young Jack Nicholson in one of his first screen roles. The movie, according to, uh, I think, IMDb or Wikipedia or some site I looked at, shot in three days. <laughs> uh, the reason it's on here is an interesting bit of trivia. The movie helped create one of my all-time favorite movies from the 1960s, Targets by Peter Bogdanovich. After The Terror... Karloff owed Roger Corman two days of work on his contract, so Corman got Peter Bogdanovich to make any movie he wanted, assuming he used those two days from Boris Karloff, and figured out a way to incorporate the footage from the terror into the movie. He created this film about an aging actor, played by Karloff, who's nearing retirement, who goes to this promotional event where something goes horribly wrong. I recommend Targets. I don't think that's on Netflix right now, but that's a great movie. I'm not sure about the terror, but I've always been curious to check it out. So that's, that's the terror available on Netflix. Allison, are you ready for your Behind the Eight Ball? I am ready. All right. Begin with three new releases. Okay. First new release is Top of the Lake. It is new to Netflix. This is Jane Campion's miniseries. Uh, it's her first, I think, her first project since Bright Star. Uh, and it's a kind of... Re- like a return to TV when she uh, she had initially kind of done a little work in that. It's uh, almost six hours long. It played at Sundance in full in January, and then it was broadcast on Sundance Channel, uh, actually just wrapped, like I think last week or the week before. So this is like very new and already streaming. And the whole is thing is cool. on Netflix? The whole thing is on Netflix. Cool. Um, stars Elizabeth Moss as a detective who is kind of home in rural New Zealand. Her accent... Not the strongest part of it, I would say, but she's still very good. And she's she gets kind of brought into this case involving a missing 12-year-old girl who's pregnant. And Holly Hunter is in this as well, as well as Peter Mullen, who's got this fantastic role where he's like both very charismatic and like very frightening. Uh, and, you know, Campion is one of the most interesting filmmakers in terms of gender. And she brings into a lot of things about kind of like the battle of the sexes in this murder or not murder, mystery, in this mystery. Um, and it's really good. I think it's it's one of the best things that is going to be on TV this year. 
and I highly recommend it. That's Top of the Lake. It's on Netflix. On Hulu is Harlan County, USA. This is Barbara Koppel's Oscar-winning 1976 doc about a minor strike in Kentucky that just gets incredibly heated and uh, and violent and disturbing. Uh, you know, there are moments in which there's shooting at the strikers. There is uh, there's murders. There are murders. There's actually like such a corrupt. There's a corruption case involving uh, one of the the union people paying off paying someone else for like a hit there's just incredible things happen in this it's a real amazing bit of documentary filmmaking but also a look at how just having a witness there a camera can kind of change events in and and, you know maybe kind of make things happen that might have stagnated otherwise so that's harlan county usa it's on hulu and finally new on netflix sick the life and death of bob flanagan super masochist 1997 documentary about Bob Flanagan, who is a writer and a performance artist uh, who had cystic fibrosis, which is, you know, basically dooms you to have like a pretty short life. Um, But he he practiced BDSM as both part of his lifestyle and his performances. And it was also just a kind of way of him taking back control of his physicality. Uh, he, this is Kirby Dick's second film. He went on to make this film was not yet rated. The invisible war is a great documentarian. Uh, and this film, you know, Bob Flanagan agreed to participate in it in part, if it could include his death. Um, and it's just this really interesting, and unflinching, you know, documentary about a guy who does some crazy things in his performance in his life, but uh, it's like a really amazing portrait. That's sick. It is new on Netflix. Okay, two expiring titles. All right, both of these are expiring on May 1st from Netflix. The first is a true classic, 1996's Barb Wire. That would be the dystopic kind of sci-fi film set during the 2017 Second American Civil War, starring, of course, Pamela Anderson in a kind of uh, corset type thing that would not be out of place in heavy metal. Uh, this is not even really campy good. I mean, like, it's it's genuinely bad, but I have to give it points for being really one of the most unexpected adaptations of Casablanca ever. <laughs> That's barbed wire. It's on Netflix. Also expiring off of Netflix on May 1st is Cul-de-Sac. That is the 1966 film from Roman Polanski. It's only his second English-language film starring Donald Pleasance, uh, Francoise Dorleac, and others. And it is the kind of either, like, somewhat funny horror film or really, really, really horrific dark comedy that Polanski can do so well. And it's basically about a gangster who, we got a lot of hostage situations this time, a gangster who ends up taking uh, a kind of middle-aged man and his young French wife hostage, only to basically step into this incredible minefield of a marriage and this power play going back and forth between them. Uh, It's really good and very dark and Polanski-ish. It is Cul-de-Sac. It is expiring from Netflix on May 1st. All right. And how about one random film from your queue? You gave me 111, which is Black Sunday, the Mario Bava film. I have not seen a lot Mm. of Bava, so I I think I dropped like a whole bunch of them in there at a certain point in my queue. Um, This is probably his most famous one, uh, starring Barbara Steele as uh, a witch who returns from the dead to wreak vengeance on her killer's family uh, 200 years after she's originally killed. And then Barbara Steele as someone else who uh, I think gets possessed by her, if I'm getting that right. But, you know, it's like a giallo classic. uh, and It's one I've been meaning to see for a while. That's Black Sunday on Netflix. All right. Well, let's get to our listeners' choice picks for our next episode, Allison. 
think we've got some interesting options here. I think so too. What's option number one? Does well, it and does it involve the Lochnar? It probably might. I mean, if you want to say it's a metaphor for something, but I don't think it does. No. Uh, You know, we talked about it before. We're like, we should throw top of the lake on here as one of the options. It is, you know, it's like a major kind of film slash miniseries somewhere in between those two. And I think that there's something very interesting about that by itself. And it's from Jane Campion, who is like one of the major filmmakers working today. There's a lot to it. It's interesting both as a mystery and as this portrait of a town uh i think it's it's really great so uh and then i can make matt watch all six hours of it you've seen the whole thing I've already seen the whole thing yes and i'll have to watch the, all six hours yes. that's you're gonna make me do that. i'll do my best to yes, do that yes i am really curious to see it now what would you if you're gonna watch it again or you're gonna just wait i it? think i would take i would take a look at it again You'd, but i watched it all fairly recently so it's relatively fresh okay. should this win all right yeah. So that's option number one. That's option number one. It's on Netflix. But that's okay. I mean, it doesn't matter because option number two is definitely going to win this week. So <laughs> once people hear it, they're going to know. They're going to want to talk All right. About let's hear it. It's a film entitled Arena, which we've never heard of until about 20 minutes ago when we found it on Netflix looking for another option. It's a 2011 direct... Let me finish, Alice. Let me finish. <laughs> I'm so excited. 2011 direct-to-video movie starring Samuel Jackson. Let me finish, Allison. Let me finish. And Kellen Lutz. A pairing for the ages. Yes. Here's the description. Kellen Lutz stars in this direct-to-video thriller about a young firefighter. Let me finish, Allison! Who is abducted, tortured, and forced to fight for his life in a series of gladiatorial contests. Masterminded by a sadistic entrepreneur. The greatest film of all time. I haven't seen it yet, but I've already... I've already you already know. I already have the title tattooed on my lower abdomen. He'll become a former hobo after he's this <laughs> former cage fighter. Ex-cop turned ex yeah. Hopefully, if we're lucky. So, I mean, we don't know anything about this movie, but the title, the cast, the plot description. I don't know if you looked at the picture on Netflix, but the picture on Netflix really did it for me, <laughs> okay. too. So that's option number two. It is Arena. I didn't say anything. Did you say I didn't? I, we don't like to campaign. That's really not what right. we're about here. So what's option number three, Allison? Option number three is another Netflix. Uh, it's a Netflix original, actually. We thought we would put in Hemlock Grove, which is the new Netflix-produced original series. It's it's like House of Cards, which went live on February 1st. This is their new one. It's executive produced by Eli Roth. It is kind of a horror slash supernatural drama. Um, and it's, you know, Netflix's second original series this year. Arrested Development is up next. I have seen the first five episodes of this. I would say I am in accordance with, I think, the majority of the TV critics out there who have said that it is not very good. But it is it is a failure in very interesting ways, which I think could make for a good conversation. And it is in this new world of of series that are produced for online only. And in this case that are produced knowing that the full season will go up at once. And that does kind of shape how the series is made. So that is Hemlock Grove. It is streaming on Netflix. It is your third option. Okay. So which movie or TV show should we review on the next episode of film spotting streaming video unit? You can send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, or you can enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, April 29th at noon. After that, we'll announce the winner on our Twitter account, twitter.com slash filmspottingsvu, 
And you'll have all that week to watch the film or TV show. And then join us for our conversation on our next episode, which will be on or around Tuesday, May 7th. FilmspottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all of the movies or TV shows that we discuss on the show. The Film Spotting SVU remixed theme song is by Vince Vandal. You can listen to more of Vince's work at vincevandal.com. And we will be back in two weeks with more movie recommendations and the review that you pick. And in the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter. We're at, at Alison Wilmore and at Matt Singer. And you can follow the show on Twitter at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share more streaming suggestions from SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Allison Wilmore. And I'm Matt Singer. Thanks for listening. 